This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening! You are back with me once again, Lucy Newberger, for Tuesday's Twilight Show. And this evening, we are talking sex ed in primary schools. It's going to be a very good session. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. You are back with me once again, Lucy Newberger, and we are live for Tuesday's Twilight Show. Once again, it's come around super fast, but I'm here, I'm ready, and I'm very excited for the show this evening. Uh, As always, there is a story attached, which I will tell you shortly. But first of all, I should tell you that joining me a little bit later on uh, in the show are Rachel Burnell, who I think is already here. She's just she's successfully in the studio, which is great. Uh, And she is from Esteem UK. And Lucy Emerson, hopefully, is going to be joining us as well, who is CEO of the Sex Ed Forum. So we've got some serious expertise in the house this evening, which is great to know. So first of all, as always, before we go any further, Let's recap the week. Um, Now, unlike most of you, I unfortunately am not yet on half term. My half term is actually next week, which is uh, unbelievable. This has been the longest half term or term I think I have ever worked. We are approaching or in the midst of, I should say, our ninth week. And I truly cannot believe that we're still standing. The The kids are in a foul mood. We're not doing brilliantly at this point. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of, a, it's a case of clinging on, I would say, at this point. And I, I have no shame in saying that. I mean, I am pretty much at the end of my tether, as I think the entire staffing body is uh, as well. Not to mention the fact that we've been going for as long as we have, but to top it all off, we have parent consultations this week as well. So we've been busy booking those in. So I've got a very late night at school tomorrow until 8pm, where I'll be working my way through 17 or 18 parents. Now, I'm actually the weirdo who quite enjoys parents' evening. I'd almost rather sit and have a chat to parents than send them a bit of paper. But... That's just me. I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe that's a, another chat for another day. But I'm definitely looking forward to to getting to know some of these parents. I always think that we spend so much time with their children. And I kind of quite enjoy it because it's it's a little insight often into the, the psyche of the children and kind of where where their mannerisms come from and where their where they're well in some cases where some of their behavior comes from but you know it's 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 good fun 
Oh, Harry Walters has just said to me, uh, I like trying to guess who the kid is in the first few minutes rather than looking at the list. It's also a fun game. I mean, certainly when you're when you're sort of two hours deep, it's it's quite uh, quite nice to, to play any sort of game that 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 helps see it through. So, yeah, so I'll report back on that. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time and let you know how that went. We've also got a Halloween parade this week. That's at the end of end of the week. That'll be on Friday. And at the moment, the, the argument is whether we're going to be inside or outside. And um, it's looking like it might rain. So we are probably going to be inside, which is a shame because we have clung on to good weather here in Lisbon for, for, for a long time now. And uh, I think that it's finally on the way out, which is a little bit of a shame, but we've had a, a very good run up until the end of October. So you can't, you can't really complain. Can, well, not too much anyway. Uh, what else has been going on? The Ironman event. Oh, yes, the Ironman event was in Kashkais over the weekend. So Kashkais is where, where I live in the greater Lisbon area. And for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, Ironman is basically an extreme triathlon. So people came from all over the world, actually, to, to compete in this, where they had to. The main event was, I think it was a two-mile swim, something like a 180-kilometer bike ride. And then just to finish off, a casual marathon at the end. And I think the guy that won it, at least won the, the main event, I think he did it in something incredible, like under nine hours. So just to give you something to aspire to or or not. I mean, for me, the idea of a triathlon doesn't really appeal because I'm not I'm not a cyclist at all. The swimming and the running I can get on board with, but uh, I don't think the, the cycling is for me. But you never know. You never know. So, yes, I very much enjoyed spectating that. There was a big party atmosphere in, in Kashkais. There were loads of people around. It was actually nice to see the, the town alive again. I hadn't seen anything like that since I've lived here, and I've lived here over a year. And it's, it's been a joy to actually have an influx of people see the boost in people using the restaurants and things like that it was it was fantastic so I really really enjoyed I really enjoyed that as well what else have we been looking at oh Bake Off continues continues to to rumble on doesn't it which I very much am enjoying I absolutely loved German week uh, particularly being half German myself, uh, I, I definitely identified with with some of those bakes, and I need to find an opportunity, probably over Christmas, uh, to to get involved in that myself. So, oh, the one thing I've forgotten, the most important thing of all, my what's for dinner feature. I'm going to be plugging away on that as I always, always do. So, I'd like to know as always, what you're having for dinner, what you're eating. For me, I made a kind of uh, sort of sausagey beanie pasta thing last night. So I'm going to have the rest of that today. So that'll be my dinner. My best friend uh, has, as usual, my old faithful best friend, Eleni, has uh, messaged me to say she's having pesto pasta with broccoli. So good to know. Um, and she's also the one I'm going to stay with next week. So I'm looking forward to cooking with her. We definitely cook up some fantastic feasts and drink a lot of wine when we're together. So it's going to be a, a joyful occasion. Harry's also let me know that his eight-year-old is in charge of dinner tonight. And it is a sausage snail tonight. Uh, 
Sounds sounds interesting, Harry. Let me let me know how that turns out for you. Um, I'm sure it'll be fantastic. So yes, please do get involved this evening. Please do let me know what you're eating. Let me know what you think of this evening's show. Um, I know that it is going to be a, an interesting one. I think so. <laughs> Let's see. How did this? How did this particular particular show come about? <laughs> I mean, you know me. There's always a story attached to to the shows that I end up doing. So, I had a bit of a debacle this week, or actually back end of of last week, I think it was. Where, <laughs> and I'm laughing already, and I know I know you'll laugh along with me. But um, I was having a, a chat to the children in my class, as I often do, and our PSHE sessions are really just a conversation to kind of check in with them, see how they're doing, any issues that have arisen. And we were just chatting away, and uh, one of my children very innocently put up his hand and said, Miss, so how come you know so much about sex? Oh, the sheer panic that went through me at this moment because I'm thinking well why, why on earth is he asking me this you know what what on earth have I said and you know when you frantically go through your brain and think oh my goodness me what have I said what conversation has he overheard and where has this come from because we haven't actually had uh, their their sex education this year their puberty chat or anything like that so I thought okay well it's not that um, what else could it be? And the only other thing I could think of was that we'd touched on plant reproduction in our science lesson. We talked about asexual and sexual reproduction in plants. And so that was the kind of panic connection that was going on in my head. But um, instead of coming up with a, a sensible response to this, do you know what my brain went with? My teacher brain, my adult brain, my, oh, I don't even know what you call it. My brain decided that the thing that was going to come out of my mouth was because I am an adult. Yeah, because I am an adult. I mean, of all the things I could have said, I mean, I appreciate it's not the worst thing I could have said, but equally not the brainiest thing I could have said or not the kind of the response that maybe I should have gone for. But it did get me thinking. You know, children of all ages have questions about their bodies, about, well, about sex, about all these things. So why why is it that I'm so panicked about answering them? And I know that it's not just me. I know that there are year six teachers and secondary teachers and maybe even other teachers up and down the land who dread these conversations coming up, who just think, oh, gosh, how, how can I avoid this or how can I get through these conversations with minimal embarrassment and minimal, well, minimal sort of after effects. And, but then I thought, but we shouldn't be worried about this. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be worried about speaking to, to children of, of any age. Why is it that we're so uptight about this? Or maybe from my point of view, why am I so uptight about this? Why is it that I panicked when a when a child asked me what actually is a very innocent question, really, when you think about it, there's no, he wasn't trying to be funny, he wasn't taking the mickey. So why did I freeze on the spot? And so it made me think, well, I should probably do a show about this. Because if if I'm thinking I need help with this, then chances are other people do as well. 
So my plan this evening is to hopefully come away from having chatted to Rachel and Lucy and anyone else who wants to join in as well, hopefully feeling a bit more confident and having a bit of a better understanding of how to approach this subject matter with children of, of all ages, but we're going to focus on primary this evening and hopefully we can we can go from there. So we're going to take a short break for uh, some news and some adverts, first of all. And after the break, I'm going to hopefully have Rachel and Lucy on the line to join me for a chat. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The Department for Education has released statistics showing that for 2019 to 2020, around 40% of 19-year-olds did not achieve a Level 3 qualification, either an advanced apprenticeship a BTEC or an A-level. These figures illustrate that progress has stalled since 2013. This is happening at the same time as sectors with some of the highest job vacancies are experiencing some of the biggest drop-offs in participation in education training. Labour's Shadow Education Secretary, Kate Green, reacted to the figures by stating, families are feeling the brunt of the Conservatives' failure to deliver the skills and training opportunities our country needs, with shelves left empty, petrol pumps running dry and the risk of Christmas chaos. Under the Conservatives, skills and vocational training have been overlooked and undervalued. Ministers must get serious and start matching rhetoric with reality. A Department for Education spokesperson said, we have put skills at the heart of our plans, making sure everyone has the opportunity to get the training and qualifications they need to get a good job. To support young people, we increased 16 to 19 funding for 2021 to 2022 by £291 million, in addition to the £400 million awarded in the 2019 Spending Review. In 2020 to 2021, the funding available for employers to invest in apprenticeships remains at around £2.5 billion, double that spent in 2010 to 2011 in cash terms. The Sutton Trust has released the results of new research which suggests significant gaps in progression and earnings following post-16 education. The report suggests that those who attend a sixth form institution were less likely to progress to higher education than those with similar disadvantages who attend a further education college. It also states that disadvantaged students are less likely to progress to higher education than their advantaged classmates, regardless of setting. The report also states that by 28, the earnings gap between further education students and their sixth form counterparts was 15% compared to 11% in 2010 to 
and calls for the reversal of underfunding for post-16 education and the extension of the National Tutoring Programme to post-16. The founder and chair of the Sutton Trust and chair of the Education Endowment Foundation, Sir Peter Lampe, said that disadvantage continues after the age of 16. Further education colleges play a vital role in providing a bridge between school and university or the workplace. It is crucial that colleges are well funded so they can give the best support they can, particularly in the wake of the pandemic. This has been your daily education news briefing. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Welcome back to The Twilight Show. You are with me, Lucy Newberger. Um, I'm very excited now to welcome both of my guests. I know Rachel is definitely in the studio. I think Lucy is having a little bit of difficulty, but hopefully we will manage to get her in shortly. Um, so, Rachel, if you are in the studio, would you mind calling calling in? I know you've tried, I think you've tried once already, but uh, if you can hear me, then now would be a brilliant time to to hear your voice if you are there. Brilliant. There she is. Hello. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can hear you. Thanks. Oh, great. Okay, good. Uh, just checking it's all working this end. Um, yeah, lovely to be here. Lovely to be able to chat to you this evening. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, I'm hoping that I'm going to have somebody else in with you as mm -hmm. well, but she's yep. having a little bit of technical difficulty, but hopefully we can get her on board momentarily. But whilst we're trying to do that, Rachel, before we go any further, can you please introduce yourself, tell us who you are, your role in education, and sort of a little bit about your background and where you're at today? 
Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. Um, so my name's Rachel Burnell, and um, I used to be a primary school teacher for over around 15 years or so. Um, but I now work for a charity which is called Asset UK, um, and I deliver relationships and sex education workshops to young people in schools. Uh, prior to this, uh, for a few years, I worked with another charity um, after leaving full-time teaching uh, because my life actually had quite a lot of other demands going on at the time. Um, I'm a long-term foster carer as well. Um, and I could just really see the huge need for this topic when working with young people in the classroom. So now it's a huge passion of mine to talk about this subject. Oh, fantastic. I mean, I don't know if you heard my my preamble to all this and my debacle this <laughs> week, but I felt that it was definitely an, uh, an important subject to, to touch on because certainly in, in primary school, I think, at least for me, there's been a real difficulty uh, approaching this subject matter. Mm. And I part of me thinks, oh, well, you know, that's just the nature of the beast, as it were. And the other part of me thinks, well, hang on a minute. Why, why, why is this? Why, why are we having such a, such a problem yeah. here? So I suppose where I want you to start off is, you know, when should we be starting these conversations in primary school? Do you, in your opinion, when do you think that this should be approached with children, whether it's the chat about, you know, puberty and body changes or whether it is a chat about, you know, sex and what that actually means? Yeah, I mean, I think actually the longer that we late, uh, leave it, the harder it actually becomes to talk about the subject. So um, I'm quite an advocate, really, of beginning this topic really young, starting as early as possible. Um, so it could be quite simple things, but important information like uh, knowing how to keep yourself safe from inappropriate touch, how to name parts of the body correctly, you know, just things like how to have a healthy friendship. Um, so I think actually, you know, we can begin to talk about this at a really young age so it doesn't become a really difficult topic to talk about later on. Um, I mean, children are actually naturally curious at a young age and they do ask questions like you were saying earlier about their bodies. And often they ask questions that maybe we're not prepared for. But if we make ourselves kind of used to it from, you know, early on, then actually, you know, we can talk about the topics better. And um, rather than kind of leave them until they're in secondary school, when it might be too late for some things to be covered, such as puberty and menstruation, because, you know, we know that some children are actually starting periods in year three or four so all of this you know needs to be talked about I think quite early on I mean yes I think that you know we 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 sort of wait until year year five and six and we oh sorry I'm just uh, I think I think that might be Lucy that's just managed to, to join oh, okay us. great just going to um pause for a second Lucy is is that you that's joined yes, us it's me <laughs> Oh, welcome. <laughs> I've got you both now. Sorry, Rachel. Like, I've got mid-sentence there. I'm just no, so no, it's fine. To have you both. Um, I don't know how much you, you heard, Lucy, just about what's gone on prior to, to now. Um, I think you have been listening in, haven't you? I have been, yes. And hearing Rachel's um, very sensible comments about how important it is to start RSE in primary school. Oh, fantastic. Well, Lucy, just to kind of catch you up and clue you in as well, can you just give a brief introduction to who you are as well, just so everybody knows uh, who who we're talking to this evening? Thank you so much. Yes, I'm Lucy Emerson. I'm Chief Executive of the Sex Education Forum, and we are a group of organisations. We've been working together for high-quality relationships and sex education um, for over three decades, in fact, and we are now um, a national charity 
um, and uh, supporting teachers and our partner organisations um, to get um, good quality advice and access to resources and to work together as a sector um, to help to get um, this happening for all children and young people and supporting teachers but parents and other professionals as well who are working uh, on this agenda. Oh, fantastic. And I know you heard what, what Rachel said about when um, when we should be starting these conversations. I just wonder where, where, where you sit on that. I think very similar. Um, we know from young people that the tendency has been to start too late. Young people have often said, well, I might have got a little bit of relationships and sex education, but it came too late after I need it. Yeah. You know, puberty is a good example where there's quite an obvious moment where you want to have the information before you go through those changes. And very often we're still letting children down. You know, there is sometimes a, a feeling of leave it till as late as we can, put it into year six, but um, mm -hmm. children are starting puberty earlier. And actually there isn't any harm in them understanding about that element of the life cycle and growing and changing a lot earlier than that. Um, it's just always about doing it at an age appropriate level and then adding to it and having plenty of chances to add to it rather than kind of one big lesson or one big talk mm. that might be covered at home. Yeah, and I think that the problem I'm having now, I mean, I'm I'm in an international school, and even every time I so much as mention, I mean, I mentioned in my introduction about how we'd done um, asexual and sexual re reproduction in plants, and I couldn't, I mean, the lesson, the lesson was out of control because I'd said the word sex, and I thought, this seems to be ridiculous. You must have heard this word before. How how is it that this is still kind of a, a sort of tee -hee -hee, uh, thing for you? So mm -hmm. I definitely am, am hearing you both on the idea that that we need to start younger. But I'm just wondering again from both your perspectives, it's sort of some advice there on on starting in whether it's EYFS or, or or year one. And you know, feel free to kind of both of you sort of you know jump in at, at, at any point um, to, as to where, how you think you know, teachers should should approach this? Well, um, I think, you know, there are plenty of opportunities, um, you know, just when you're looking at uh, picture books together and or reading storybooks together, you know, talking about uh, topics of having babies and, and uh, families, that kind of thing. I think if you normalise it from a very young age and you start using the right vocabulary and, um, you know, just talking about it casually in lessons rather than saying oh we're now going to have a you know a lesson on this topic just dropping it in I think that that's really helpful for starting a conversation I think yeah I think that's that's a really good bit of advice actually to kind of feel empowered to take you know little opportunities often and I suppose to complement that um, we do now you know in England at least have a mandatory requirement for mm. relationships um, education in primary and guidance that encourages mm -hmm. that to include sex education so that does need a developmental approach where there is planning time to look at all the years across the school yeah. um, and, and map out what are we going to be doing in reception year one year two all the way mm -hmm. through so that it's um, kind of e evenly distributed and we're getting in there in good time it's timely education you can make the cross-curricular links if there are other um, sort of good links there with science or um, you know beyond the curriculum thinking about the safeguarding work that that no doubt happens in every single year of the school so making time for the planning and then mm -hmm. I think when 
when topics stand out that maybe feel a bit trickier, a bit thornier, um, it's sometimes spending a bit of time on those topics and thinking, well, what is it about this that is worrying me? Um, why am I afraid to bring this up with, with this particular year? And peeling away at it to see, well, what is the concept behind this that would be really helpful for children at this age? And then we can add to it later. Um, yeah, so that would be, um, I think, making sure you've had the planning time is really important as well. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think as well, I mean, I struggle to articulate, and I don't know if other teachers feel this, and please, those of you that are listening, if you have experienced this as well, it's, I mean, we as teachers in a, in a day-to-day, you know, we we know how to create a safe space in terms of, you know, our classroom environment generally and in the way that we're teaching. And in primary school, that's kind of built into to what we do on a daily basis. But in terms of creating that that safe space, and I know you've, um, you've already said, um, I can't remember if it was Rachel or Lucy who said it, but it was, uh, you know, the fact that instead of kind of saying, right, now we're going to have a conversation about this, sort of how how would you advise kind of beginning to open up those environments and beginning to sort of, you know, making children understand that this is a safe space and what we're talking about, you know, is does have a serious element to it, but at the same time you can ask those questions and no one's going to laugh and no one's going to, to judge or say anything to you that you're going to be upset about. I think it's quite important that you have um, a set of ground rules. So when you have things like, you know, circle time, that the children are really used to, you know, expectations quite early on as to how they're going to behave and listen to each other. So I think if you begin with um, opening up a conversation, you know, through a fun kind of icebreaker or a circle time activity and making it quite lighthearted to start with, but making sure that they're actually, they know there's no such thing as a silly question and that they are able to to ask things that they really find, you know, they want to ask. Um, I think that's quite important in order to make a safe space in the classroom. Mm. Uh, yeah, I would, I would fully support that. And I suppose it's kind of the topping and tailing of, of the lesson that you've got that um, set of ground rules or working agreement and ideally mm-hmm. having had the, the children participate in creating that and owning mm. it and then actually putting it into practice. So if, if, if a child isn't able to follow it, it does need to be managed so that it is um you know it's a real it's a real thing and then towards the end of the lesson signposting to help because that process of having your ground rules it can help to protect you against an unplanned disclosure helps to protect the Mm -hmm. child as well um from from sort of blurting something out that is a, is a very personal thing that would have been better to talk to mm-hmm. the t- teacher one-to-one about. So you want that safety, that, that openness, but also to know there is somewhere you can go one-to-one for another conversation and to remind children mm-hmm. um, at the end of that lesson. Because I think, again, that's something that I sort of hadn't kind of thought about how, how that weaves into to sex education and to, to conversations about puberty is that there is every chance that, that a child could disclose something to you or could say something out loud. So mm-hmm. there is, and that, and that again, I suppose, factors into what both of you have said about planning very carefully and making sure that the questions you are asking, while not kind of closing down too much, are are open, but at the same time are also protecting you and protecting those children as as, as well. Yeah, I think it's really important that you do involve the safeguarding lead of the school in in the planning um, when talking about this topic and how you're going to work it out year by year. Um, I think that it's something that needs to be done not, you know, by just the uh, coordinator, the PSHE coordinator, but actually with the safeguarding team as well. 
Yes, and I think it's difficult to get all those people in a room as well, and to it's almost one of those one of those subject areas that I feel and and again I feel terrible saying this, but certainly in the schools I've worked in, it's not I would not sit here and say confidently that a lot of planning had gone into it. You kind of you almost mark it on the calendar as one of those things that you know is coming up, and you know, and certainly sort of in Upper Key Stage Two where I've kind of been for a while you you know it's it's coming and it ends up being kind of one or two sort of really quite cursory quite sort of rubbish actually if I'm honest uh sessions and it's just quite sad to me that it's really kind of only occurring to me how dangerous and 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 ridiculous Mm. this is this the status of the subject has has been so low really and it's that's Mm. such a shame because it it impacts doesn't it on how the teacher's how much time and resource you've got and how much support you're getting and the opportunities for working as a team on it. Um, and I think if if that's not changing in whatever school you're in, um, and it might be, I know we're talking to an international audience where the, the legislation might not be giving it that status at the moment, but I think involving different voices um, can help unlock that in lots of different situations. So actually spending a bit of time asking um, children, what would it? What would you like this subject to be like? How could we make it better? Mm. Are there to- other topics we want to add in or do earlier or different resources? And saving off that bit of pupil voice work to share with the, the staff who might not be able to attend that meeting to say, look, this is what our, our students say they want. Same with the parents, you know, actually sharing what, what children are saying they're wanting can mm. be a great icebreaker for talking about um, how how home might feel about this, how they can have a role as well. Um, so yeah, a bit of consultation, a bit of voice work can help to um, give the subject better status to understand how fundamental it is for those children's well-being. And yeah, it's interesting mm. because I mean, I'm as I'm sure everyone who's listening here sat through kind of countless CPD sessions on better ways to teach maths, better ways to teach primary English. I mean, you name it, but it's it's I don't think I I again, I don't think I've ever sat through a CPD session or had a meeting where we've discussed um, you know, RSE or sex education and actually thought about a you know from from the ground from EYFS up through through the school what that would look like and what shape that would take i mean we all we all do the safeguarding training and we all talk about i mean i'm certainly i've got some educare courses to work through at the moment which is is all well and good but it's kind of that's that's sort of it really and that seems ridiculous and preposterous to me that you know we're made to do kind of one side of it but we're not really addressing the main important Mm. teachable aspects here yeah I totally agree actually with what Lucy was saying just now um because actually you know I think we do need to um hopefully take the subject a bit more seriously than people used to in the past and actually by making it statutory um hopefully teachers and schools are beginning to think well actually do we need more training do we need to um kind of get more involved with this topic than we have been i mean what we found is that our core training at asset was um actually developed for secondary age pupils and teachers but now we have primary teachers coming on it um to find out more because actually if they they're being asked to talk about this subject they want to have the knowledge and they want to have you know the depth in it that they're being asked to to have in order to cover the subject well and it's yeah it's that confidence thing i think it's it's a really big ask to get um 
you know, adults who might not have had very good or much or any relationships and sex education themselves to just walk into a classroom and, and do a great job. And mm-hmm. I think parents and, and children need to expect better and we've got to demand better in terms of the training and support yeah. we get. And, you know, there is a, a wealth of training out there. Lots of it's moved online. We provide webinars online, mm-hmm. you know, just 75 minutes to kind of top it up. And we hope that schools will invest in, in that um in that subject to, to provide the mm-hmm. training on. It would be good if there was more national investment from government as well to mm-hmm. sort of set aside tra- a training budget for this amazingly important um, new subject so that teachers could, could spend time not just learning the facts, but also thinking about their own values, reflecting on how mm-hmm. they were taught this or not taught that, and, and kind of working through some of those things which can be really substantial barriers to actually getting getting up and, and talking about some of the information and knowledge um you know the values are often the first thing that's sort of pressing buttons or making us worried or alarmed or embarrassed mm. um but yeah it, it needs time it needs investment yeah and i think that i mean that speaks to again the sort of the wider pshe rse that whole you know citizenship as it kind of you know all that all that um at a wider level because again I think that it's also one of those things and what this tends to feed into and the RSE subject matter tends to feed into that that session that you as we've touched on already that kind of you're you're sort of scrabbling around in the timetable for it kind of gets it gets sidelined rather than feeding through the curriculum as a whole and actually um, as you both said to that cross-curricular aspect why aren't we doing that why aren't we teaching teachers how to how to do that and how to drip feed these things in but how it mm-hmm. also feeds into to wider values to how both you know men and women or you know however you identify moving through society and we don't we don't touch on it at school certainly not at primary level uh, at all really until until an issue arises until a child says or does something inappropriate in the playground has been happening uh, where I am recently and it's only then that we're actually having to we're thinking oh gosh we haven't addressed anything like this and we're sending these children out into secondary school and out into the world with no real idea of of what their behavior means because they're, they're sort of they're walking around almost a bit kind of emotionally clenched thinking I, I don't know who to ask or what to think or what to say or why what I've done is not okay or you know how I can kind of express my thoughts to somebody so I just it's it's it seems to be a bit all over the place still and yeah and by that time you know a child is getting quite molded in terms of their outlook on the world what they think is normal what they think is important how they think it's okay to treat each other and you know the stereotypes that they'll have encountered or feel that they are constrained or enabled by in in different ways so i think it's got that question about broadening out our understanding of what we mean by relationships and sex education you know there are, there are certain things in the topic that people kind of spot as their um points to be worried about or their expectations of what's going to be taught it's all going to be about sex and and how babies are made um but actually looking at something like consent um it's mm. such a broad topic even though the word consent isn't in the primary relationships education there's so much in there about my body belongs to me um about yeah. privacy and boundaries mm. and um and stereotypes and how to treat each other um so yeah kind of <laughs> you're moving past that sort of 
rather narrow idea about what the subject might be covering um, is going to be important to to bring more people on board and make a curriculum that really meets meets pupils' needs in a more proactive way. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think that actually consent is a topic that we can start from a young age and just build upon year by year. Um, you know, teaching young people more about it as they go on, but actually having it from, you know, from early on where they're talking about their body, like Lucy just said, um, and about boundaries, that's all part of it. Um, you know, if you, I was looking at some facts earlier, and I think one of the teacher unions uh, knew, was saying that over a third of primary school teachers say that they've witnessed gender stereotyping in their school, at least weekly, you know, and, and all these things are happening all the time. But actually, you know, we need to be able to talk to the children about this, you know, and yeah, make a plan. But actually, what are we going to do year by year to talk about this subject and you know, bring it to a higher level? And I think we, I mean, certainly we at, I mean, at the, at the, at the school I'm at in particular, I mean, and I think this goes through, you know, I mean, it does, it's, it's true of many, many schools sort of around the world are international, multicultural people from everywhere. And we, we talk about that very openly. And we talk about all sorts of things, but it seems like, you know, while we're talking about, you know, where we're all from and what we're all like, we're not talking about how we're interacting with one another. We're not talking about the wider world. We're kind of as mm. much as, and I think this is what uh, I do battle with a lot. And I, th and I think some other primary teachers will probably feel the same is that, you know, how much do we kind of sort of tell them about the world out there without scaring them? And how much do we, we protect them from? Because, you know, in my mind, there is a kind of, and I don't really know where that line is, kind of how much is too much when they're all going home at the end of the day. And I know full well that they're watching, uh, goodness knows what, on, mm -hmm. on Netflix. And yet I'm busy kind of having a little panic about a child using, you know, asking me how I know so much about sex in my classroom. It doesn't, it doesn't quite correlate. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of burying the head in the sand, and mm. um, the the problem is that children get a, a signal really early on that mm. it's not a topic they can ask about or talk about, and that means they're not going to show the truth about the things they're accessing. So yeah. if a child, you know, even before they get to school, asks a question like, "Well, you know, where do babies come from?" or so many other questions but that's one that pops into my head always um, and if it's greeted with like I can't answer that or a made up complete lie that that all, the child realizes that that's not something that they're going to get a truthful answer on and another example around that would be something like the, the words used for body parts um, and if, if the, there isn't a word for vulva or there isn't a word for penis or the word for it is clearly um, a very euphemistic sort of word, the child knows that this part of the body has got sort of special treatment and it's not mm. something we can be open and frank about. And that makes it very difficult to get help about those parts of the body. And yeah. and actually where the adult's getting muddled is that those terms don't sexualize those parts of the body. They're just words for those parts of the body, like every other mm -hmm. part of the body has words. And um, it, if we could guess move from from that kind of concern about the adult perspective and think about what the child needs. They just need a name for those parts. They need to know where the we comes from 
uh, you know, the sort of toileting stuff that you can do. So they've got confidence to refer to body parts. But that actually is so fundamental to set them up to be able to see uh, boys and girls um, on equal footing in terms of the bodies being clean and good things, mm-hmm. uh, good parts about themselves. Um, yeah, and then you know it, it grows from there. That when they get to puberty, those terms are not unfamiliar terms. They're not terms they're going to break down and giggle about. They're just terms, and then they can ask other more sort of meaningful questions about the the puberty um, element. So, yeah, I think it's always about winding back and thinking, what are we concerned with on this? And and actually having those words isn't going to make them look at that part of their body more, touch that part of their body more. They just now have a word for it and they know that part of their body is okay. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that, you know, because actually teaching them about their body and knowing how to name the parts is actually, uh, you know, protecting them. Um, So when it comes to things like... uh, CSE you know child exploitation they know actually they can talk about it it's not dirty to mention anything that might have happened or something somebody might have said to them because we know a lot of our young people are spending huge amounts of time online and they are learning information but we want to make sure it's the information that's correct and that actually the people they're talking to are safe and and all of these kinds of things so you know um if we look at uh what the NSPCC was saying that one in 20 primary age children have actually received or sent a naked or semi naked image by another young person. We need to kind of have conversations about this rather than try and cover it up or hide it. Um, so although we want to make sure we're not telling them too much, we do need to actually address the things that are going on that aren't being talked about. Oh, absolutely. And I just interestingly, actually, I've got the word terminology written very clearly in my notes, because I mean, I mean, you both kind of got there. And I knew you would with without sort of any prompt from me, because I know, uh, I imagine that for the two of you working in the, you know, in the realm that you do, it is a big bugbear when actually people are tiptoeing around around these words. And uh, I, it reminded me of something I ended up doing last year in the middle of my kind of whole RSE session that, that I was doing with um with my year fives at the time and they were getting so silly about um about words like penis and vagina that I ended up standing there chanting it to them in the middle of the room just to kind of try and break (laughs) this whole stigma and they've never forgotten it and they've now proceeded Mm -hmm. to tell the entire school that this is what uh what Miss (laughs) Newberger decided she was going to do and um there's been no clapback so far so uh I may end up repeating the the penis and vagina chant on another occasion you never know (laughs) but it won't do any harm yeah (laughs) I I I hope not but it's just yeah it was it was interesting to um to sort of think about the fact that actually again I've definitely been clenched about using those those words in the past and I sort of you know think oh gosh what are they going home and and telling their parents and I know both of you have touched on the parental side of things so what I'm going to do is come back to that we'll go for a short ad break and a sip of water and then we will come back and talk about the uh a bit more about the whole parental influence on this because I'm interested to kind of tap into that a little bit more Mm -hmm. need support with your phonics teaching Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford 
has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. You are back with me, Lucy Newberger. We are, well, we're on the Twilight Show. It's Tuesday evening, and I am in the midst of a very interesting conversation with Lucy Emerson and Rachel Burnell about sex education in primary school. Um, just before our ad break, we touched on the whole parental influence in all of this uh, and where they sit on sex education in schools and all the rest of it. Um, I've definitely, and again, I think this will be something that you'll both have a quite a, a strong opinion on, but I've definitely seen scenarios and heard about scenarios where the whole idea of kind of RSE and things like that um, are actually you can you can opt out. You can, have, you can have a choice where you pull your children out of these sessions or out of these classes. And I just wanted to know, kind of, I think I know where this is going to go, but where you both <laughs> sit on that. Um, well, first of all, I think um, it is a bit worrying because I think uh, occasionally some schools might misunderstand that actually, you know, um, there is a right to withdraw the children from sex education, but not a right to withdraw children from relationships education. Um, so that is something that we kind of need to make sure parents and schools are really aware of. Um, but I know, it, you know, it is a bit of a concern for some parents. And I do think that talking to them and involving them, um, having, you know, parent sessions and showing them the content of what you're going to be delivering is something really valuable in order to build that relationship with the parents and make them feel um, like they can trust you and, you know, in what you're actually going to be showing the children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think parental involvement is the, you know, it's about... Um, having a having a dialogue having a conversation mm. um and also seeing if you can help parents to fulfill their their role at home because yeah. again you know sex education forum is very concerned about what children and young people say they need and they have said um that they would like parents and carers to be more involved as well as getting information from school um and when they do it's more we know from other research it's more effective mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so making it part of a sort of joint responsibility saying well what else is worrying you parents what else could we do to help you can we assemble a list of resources you could borrow or other particular yeah. topics that you want more information about um you know so it's not just about showing what the school's doing which also is very very helpful to to kind of get past some of the myths and, and misunderstandings yeah. so yeah dialogue communication <laughs> yeah 
and I, I could definitely, you know, it definitely makes a difference. Um, when I've held parent workshops before, um, I found that afterwards the parents were much more willing to ask questions and they were not worried at all about actually what we were going to be teaching. Um, they just wanted to be a reass reassured and to actually be able to ask and voice what they felt about it and actually you know, we got them thinking, well, what did you learn when you were younger? And many of them hadn't learned very much. And that's why perhaps they had questions about what we might be teaching their children. But actually, in the end of, of all of it, um, it ended up being that actually they were very happy with what it was we were talking about. Because I know that, I mean, Harry's vocalised the thought that I think a lot of us have had is that the biggest fear is being treading on parents' toes and, and maybe mm -hmm. getting into trouble for, for saying too much. But I think, as you rightly say, if we are open from the start, rather than the, this all being kind of almost clandestine and behind closed doors, then perhaps, you know, they are going to be more receptive to it and they are going yeah. to be like, okay, you know, there's nothing Mm -hmm. funny or weird going on here it is just a conversation and a discussion and that that children are partaking in to ensure that that they understand how to how to move around in the world and how to take care of themselves yeah and I think that's ultimately what we all want really isn't it mm -hmm. gosh and, and, yeah, finding that kind of nugget of what it is we all want can be a really good way of finding the common ground if that you know if it starts off seeming like there's a bit of conflict, actually trying to answer that question, well, mm. what is it we want for, for our children here? Um, yeah. And no doubt people will want them to be healthy and happy and and good to other people. And so you can kind of work back from there um, mm. and appreciate that work on, on things like diverse families and um, anti-homophobia work in schools is really um, an important way to make sure everybody treats each other with respect. It's not... Um, it's not about telling people to be a certain way. Mm. Um, and that's that's a, a, a quite a common um, query that parents want to work through. So yeah. finding that common ground about the end, the end point and, and going a few steps back um, mm -hmm. is really handy. And another thought from, from me is that it's helpful for parents to see what's coming. And I think parents sometimes feel a bit hurt that they weren't the one to tell their child about something as fundamental and important as love or marriage or how babies are made or relationships or puberty. Um, and they can still be the one to say that first if they want to be. And so having regular yeah, okay. updates from the school about when topics are coming up um, and how that would look gives parents um, the first chance to be the one um, and say, well, actually, before you have this lesson in school, I'd like to tell you something that I think is important. And then school will add to that in a slightly different style and slightly different way. And those things don't have to, um, don't have to conflict. Yeah. No. And I think that I've completely forgot what I was going to say. And it's, it, hopefully it's going to come back into my brain. Um, I think that, you know, with the, the parent side of it as, as well, it's just come back to me. It also maybe helps in, and I've got another note here that says to me, you know, kind of going back to that, how much information is too much by again, starting that dialogue with the parents, you can kind of almost gauge from them in a way kind of, okay, you know, this is where I'm going to leave it at this point. And this is maybe where I'll, something I'll come back to when they're, when they're a bit older. And uh, I suppose that might help with that, yeah, with that boundary setting of knowing kind of, okay, maybe that's a little bit too much for now. Maybe we just kind of, here's, here's a sort of a middle ground. And, and again, maybe opening that dialogue would, would make more, you know, would make parents more receptive to, to us as teachers 
you know, using correct terminology and actually saying, you know, we're, we're not we're not doing anything untoward here. We are just doing what we set out to do, which is educate and, you know, make children feel safe and send them out into the world, being able to understand themselves and the people around them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's always got to be some choices to make and involving parents in those choices where, where it's possible um, is helpful. I mean, the, the choice of resources, for example, and um, asking asking parents whether they feel represented and included in the way that the subject mm-hmm. is taught, and that would extend to the resources, is a, an important question to ask because some parents and families might have felt somewhat on the margin, somewhat excluded. Um, so that is very you know very valid <laughs> position to find yourself yeah. in. So I think it, it's sort of trying to see what else you're going to learn from parents rather than anticipating a difficult conversation. And the more we understand about the families we're working for, the better the RSE will be because you want it to be responsive to children's experiences, children's real lives, and for them to learn about each other and for them to feel included and just as valuable as everybody else. Um, So just sometimes reframing the questions is all that's needed to make this, um, you know, a really enjoyable and and, uh, informative process for both sides. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point, actually, that you just made, um, you know, because you do, do need to take into account the needs, the demographics, the children and the parents in your class, because actually there will be lots of diverse types of families. And speaking for myself, I'm a single foster parent. And actually, you know, there aren't that many of them um, in the school where my, my foster child goes to. But actually, having that voice, having that voice of that parent and bringing their experience to the table and, you know, being able to raise that in class is something really valuable, I think. That's a lovely example. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, knowing that you've been heard and that, you know, extends to the parent and the child, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So, um, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's often, I mean, I do think that, you know, so often parents are kind of are on the fringes of things and they are sort of they pack their child off to to this place every day which they feel they know so well and that they kind of know you and that they have you know they meet you at parents evenings and, and what have you but a lot of the time they're you know they're just kind of sending their children off in in good faith and and that really is is it but uh you know, by by opening things out, as we said, you know, it just it makes them think. Okay, I'm part of this. I'm I'm going along along with them, and I actually, you know, have a relationship with with the teaching staff, and I and I understand what they're doing, and I feel kind of, and I think it does build that mutual respect. Which I mean, this is going into a whole other area, but does sometimes kind of sometimes lack between parents and teachers but I think if we kind of are able to put our best foot forward with this and 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 share and include them then as a whole our relationship with parents I think would be an awful lot better and and the other thing about parents I guess is within the parent group um how different parents are going to engage with this and I just wanted to put on the table um mums and dads and you know we know from from research that dads don't get as involved in the RSE at home as the mums do. Mm. And that's an interesting thing to look out for in the consultation around RSE because it would really benefit children if dads were supported to get more involved. And so maybe in the consultation work, thinking, well, would it be handy to have perhaps a a dad's or male carer's workshop where they had a, a space where they didn't feel kind of so on edge, um, or maybe having a male teacher, you know, <laughs> conducting some of it, it might just, 
yeah. experiment with that a little bit and see um, if there's a way of, of reaching out to dads to support them. So it's a shared a shared support they can be providing at home um, because mm. if we don't, the boys often are the ones who miss out at home, who aren't having as many conversations about emotions and how they feel um, and more emphasis is being put on on girls staying safe and and having to sort of deal with um, what comes their way. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's just another another little twist to think about there. Gosh, yes, that's I definitely hadn't sort of again when when I think about these topics of conversation, there's there's so much that goes with it, but that's not something I'd really sort of thought about in much detail. And certainly from a from a primary point of view, I mean the vast the the majority of us are are female staff members, and so we do. Um, for the most part, feel more comfortable, I suppose, with the with the female side of things uh, ourselves, and so you know we kind of you know play to that strength. But then we, yeah, there is a there is a whole other aspect with 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 um, dads being involved and with male teachers being involved to, to kind of to break that stigma and to sort of get boys talking more readily because as we know as mm-hmm. as boys get older it increasingly becomes a problem when they do shut down emotionally and they don't talk and yeah you know yeah. I think there's a lot as well, and obviously in the media at the moment about that, and you know, tackling things like uh, d- uh, sexual violence, gender-based violence, and actually, you know, having conversations with boys early on and teaching them um, what you know what a good male role model should be, um, and you know, inviting their their dads and things in to actually speak about their feelings and and all of these things. That's all part of it. It's all part of like you know improving that picture that we have going on at the moment so we're not just putting the onus on girls and what they should be doing but actually boys this is what you know a good uh, male should look like and I think as you say recently in the media we've certainly seen I mean some we don't need to go into it but horrific mm. things that have gone yeah. on with with violence against women we also know that violence does happen against against men as well but you know that it's it's not as you say you know it's never too early to talk about um you know that relationship between men and women and it start it starts young and yeah. i think that you know again just just from listening to both of you i'm sort of thinking about when i started having these these conversations and i can't really pinpoint a time certainly not in primary school where you know anything like this was approached and i think that again it kind of encompasses that whole thing with with rse with relationships with citizenship about you know moving around in society more generally and what this all feeds into and the fact that we need to you know i mean i i promoted this show as talking about sex education but it goes so much wider than that as we've discovered and it kind of you the beauty of a conversation like this is that it starts with kind of one little thing and it branches out into all these things that are so important as part of education um for well for for the children but also for us as teachers and being aware uh, that this is you know part of our responsibility as well and, that, and that's where you get the payback as well because you're, you're kind of tackling issues that can get in the way of education you know you're tackling children's behavior um that that no doubt takes up a lot of teachers time and efforts to worry about what's actually happening in, in the school grounds um, you know, bullying is another yeah. another aspect where that can result in children missing huge chunks of school. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's, it's as you say, it's never too early to to pay attention to it. It's sort of yeah. <laughs> investment, isn't it, in the future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. Yeah. 
Gosh, I mean, there's just, I mean, I feel we could go on and on and on. But I mean, this this is definitely, I mean, I, I feel with, uh, I mean, I say this about a lot of shows I do, but particularly this one has been incredibly eye-opening for me um, just from starting with uh, a, a comment from one or a question from one of my children in class all the way through to some serious things to, to consider there. Um, but before I let you both go, um, I'm getting better and better at doing my show notes. I just want from each of you just um, some resources and suggestions that you can point uh, listeners in the direction of that uh, you've been involved with or that you would uh, strongly suggest they look at to sort of underpin uh, what, what we've talked about this evening. Uh, Ooh, the, the long list. Do you, do you want to go first, Rachel? Well, yeah, actually, it was interesting. I was talking to my colleague, Gareth, earlier, and we were saying definitely to point towards the Sex Education Forum, where Lucy is actually from. Um, I think that's a really good place to go to for um, information and advice. Um, I'm scribbling as, I'm scribbling as, as, as you're both talking, because I'm going to put this but, all in my show notes. Oh, sorry. Yep. Um, go, go, so, go. so definitely, definitely. You know, I would check that one out. Um, but also, even just information on, uh, I think ParentZone and CEOP have got a good parent information page. Um, if you want to go a bit deeper and look at different topics, National Oak Academy has got, it's a government-funded RSHE programme of materials um, that's got content across the different school years. And it's free for anyone to have a look at and kind of benchmark against. So that could be helpful for parents and teachers um, to access. Um, I'd also be very happy for parents to be uh, signposted to us at Asset UK. Um, like I was saying, you know, uh, our training is really for secondary age pupils, but actually, um, you know, we do want to make sure that primary school teachers are comfortable with the subject as well. Um, there are so many good resources. NSPCC, uh, again, they are, you know, a great wealth of material uh, to have a look at, particularly around safeguarding and, you know, uh, child protection and keeping ch keeping children safe and things. I think I've got all that, Lucy. I, I'm sure you want to add to that as well. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'll try, I'll try and cover some different things. So thanks sure. for mentioning Sex Education Forum. As we're a group of partners, you'll find our partners list will take you out to lots of other organisations who all share our values and principles. Um, outspoken Sex Education, for example, is one that looks at um, supporting parents. Um, there's a podcast um, on three steps to success with RSHE, which we did with the PSHE Association. We have a curriculum design tool that looks developmentally at the whole curriculum and the kind of questions children ask right from the age of three and then works all the way through. Um, you could look at UNESCO as well if you really want mm. to take this a long way and um, really develop yeah. your, your professional skills. And then we have a lot of parental involvement tools. So um, all of them are there for our members and there's a few freebies as well if you want to kind of structure your workshops with parents have a look at um, what you can download from our resources and then on special educational needs and disability we have um, a really good um, set of specialized courses um, which would cover all ages in fact um, which mm -hmm. is an area that can be um, somewhat neglected so yeah do get started join us um, and you know keep the conversation going yeah and uh, ladies as well, how do we how do we find you <laughs> as well? Um, well, I would be um, contactable through www.sexeducationforum.org.uk or info at sexeducationforum.org.uk. Drop me an email or have a look online. 
And uh, yeah, I, I could be contacted via our website, www.asset-uk.com or even directly um, if you wanted to email me at rachel at asset-uk.com. Oh, well, listen, I think all that remains for me to say is thank you both so much for, for joining me. It has been a true privilege to to have you and to, to listen to you. Um, I could, I mean, there are so many, I think we're going to probably have to do another another show based on, on, on and around uh, RSC and sex education. I don't, I don't think we're anywhere near finished, um, but you've certainly mm-hmm. given me a great deal to think about and hopefully the listeners as well. Um, and yeah, I really, really appreciate you both being here to, to, to help us, help us along the way and, uh, and keep educating and keep going. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you both again at some other point. Oh, thank you very much for having us on the show. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Lucy. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you both. Okay. Oh wow! Uh, what an evening. I mean, I I have always, as always, learned so much. Uh, I just, I think it's. Uh, I I always. Let me think. Let me reformulate that thought before and start again. I think with with a lot of these conversations on these shows that that I've done, I start with a, a very small point or subject matter or a very kind of isolated incident and it's always truly fascinating to me that you you bring in a couple of a couple of guests experts experts in, a, in an area or in a field or on a subject matter and they're just able to to bring it to life for you and to to explain things in a way that that are you know so easy to understand and I think, I mean, if nothing else, both Rachel and Lucy, for me, certainly eased my anxiety in terms of teaching sex education or RSE, teaching about relationships, because I think for a long time, I have just been very, very uptight, very worried, very concerned, when actually there really is no need to think like that. But I think also it's really important to understand that this education for children in terms of understanding themselves physically and mentally, in terms of their relationships with themselves, with others around them, that has to start young. And I think both both women definitely sort of were very, very strong on the fact that this this education starts from very early doors and we need to ensure that it does start early and that it is part of a wider conversation and that we're not just having cursory half hour PE, PSHE, RSE sessions, that it does have to be uh, part of the of the, the narrative of education as a whole. And uh, I mean, I didn't get to touch on this with with either of them, but I don't ever recall in again in teacher training. And I know I talk about teacher training a lot, but I don't ever recall um, anything to really to do with sort of RSE, RSE, PSHE, anything really kind of coming up within my teacher training. I certainly if we did, it was maybe one or two sessions. And again, I don't think that helped with the mentality of, oh, okay, you know, I don't really need to worry about this. I'll just kind of if I teach in year five or six, it it may come up and, you know, we'll just kind of put it over there. So I think that I certainly need to go away and have some conversations with leadership in my school about how we're educating children uh, in terms of relationships and themselves and how we can we can do better because I think there is always an opportunity to do better 
So I am very grateful to, to both of them for helping me with that. Um, I've definitely scrolled down in my best chicken scratch, the resources that, uh, that both women talked about. So hopefully I can get those up on Twitter and share those with you as well. Um, all that remains for me to say is that, well, also, I forgot to I forgot to ask both of them what they were having for dinner, but uh, <laughs> never mind. Uh, I always forget to ask my guests what they're having for dinner, and this is why this feature never takes off. It really is my own fault. Um, <laughs> so never mind. But um, what I was going to say is that I'm in fact not here next week. Um, my uh, half term is well, yeah, my half term is next week. So I'm going to be heading back to the UK, as I've told you, going to be seeing some comedy, going to be hanging out with my best friend, going to be doing lots of cooking um, and lots of fun, fun things. Oh, Rachel's just come in to say she's having Ikea meatballs for dinner. Fantastic choice, Rachel. I fully respect that. Good on you. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, Now, I'm not sure if Libby is on uh, after B today, I couldn't actually find anything to do with her with her possibly having a show this week. So Libby, if you are listening and you are on after me, I'm really sorry um, that I couldn't find anything. But um, hopefully you are, you know, raring to go if you are on after me. And if not, I hope you're having fun wherever wherever you happen to be. I am going to take myself off to to reheat my pasta sausage creation from the other night. And I will see you all in or Yes, I will see you all in a couple of weeks. Um, I am off to go and enjoy Bake Off as well. As always, it has been a true pleasure. I have really enjoyed myself and I just love doing this and I will continue to speak to you for as long as you will have me. But for now, it is good evening from me. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.